0: I often think it'd be pretty neat to be present for this miracle, the multiplication of the loaves. This area that Jesus brings the crowd is known as the Lake of Tiberias, and Jesus sits there and he teaches them, teaches thousands, and he gives them a meal practically from nothing. I remember now it's over six years back on my trip to the Holy Land. Visiting the location of this story and having this exact thought, how neat it would be to be present for this miracle. And then we celebrated mass on that very site. It was there and then that I realized that I was present at that very site for something far greater, far greater than the multiplication of the loaves. Over the next three Sundays, our gospel readings come from the sixth chapter of John, right? This is known as the bread of life discourse. This event in today's gospel is just Jesus preparing his disciples for what he's about to teach, his teaching on the Eucharist where he tells us, I am the living bread. And unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you do not have life within you. Today's gospel tells us at the beginning that the feast of the Passover was drawing near. This isn't a throwaway detail, right? This is the feast that celebrates the freedom of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, and central to that celebration was the Seder meal. Seder meal that is at the context of the Last Supper. The text also tells us that when Jesus receives the loaves, he says the blessing and gives, that, gives thanks. When you read the Greek of this passage, the word for give thanks is Eucharistio, the word we get Eucharist from. And that should make it abundantly clear to us what this is leading to. In fact, we have in Mark's version of this gospel we heard from John the same string of verbs that's used at the Last Supper is used. He took, blessed, broke, and gave. In June, the United States bishops met to discuss the beginnings of a document on Eucharistic coherence. And if you followed the mainstream media, either on television or in newspapers, on the reporting of this meeting, you would have just thought that the bishops met together to come to talk and decide whether or not the president should be, receive communion. Right, that was the media's take on it. However, the meeting that they had, the draft of the document that they were discussing was started in 2018. Right, the reason that they were meeting was because it had become clear to our bishops that the faith in the Eucharist, especially in the United States, but indeed throughout the world, And our faith is at an all-time low. This meeting was the beginning of a discussion of what we need to do to have a true revival of faith in the Eucharist. This is the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ that we are given. And the fact of the matter is that many Catholics eat and drink of the flesh and the blood of Jesus without following the instruction of St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, in which he says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. When I receive this gift of the Eucharist, I'm called to constantly reform my own life. To examine those areas of sin in my life and to turn away from sin. To turn my actions and my way of living to be like Jesus Christ. What we believe about the Eucharist is called transubstantiation. I'm sure you've heard that before. Right? The bread and the wine become the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. While the appearance of bread and wine remain. Right? The substance, the very stuff that makes up the bread and wine, become Jesus. But the accidents the appearances, remain really as an act of mercy. Right? If I truly saw what it is that I receive at the Mass, I don't think any of us would dare to approach. So it's an act of mercy that Jesus puts a veil over what we receive and remains those appearances of bread and wine. But sometimes through miracles, God has allowed that veil to be lifted. And these miracles are called Eucharistic miracles, and I fear sometimes we don't talk about them enough. There are miracles like that in Orvieto in Italy in the 13th century, which was on the feast of Corpus Christi, in which the host that the priest held began bleeding, this priest himself having great doubts about the true presence in the Eucharist. And the corporal, which the host bled onto, is still in that cathedral for veneration to this very day, 800 years later. And several years back, I was able to be in that very cathedral in Orvieto and kneel before the blood of our Lord present on that corporal at this cathedral. However, this isn't just a vein of the past. There's at least four Eucharistic miracles this last century, since the year 2000. And before approval of the Vatican, they have these miracles investigated by an independent scientist to rule out any natural or scientific explanation. So I want to talk about three recent ones. The first one was in 2013 in Poland. At a Christmas mass during the distribution of communion, a host fell on the floor. I'm sure we've seen that happen before. The option that the church gives us when a host falls on the floor is either that the priest himself consumes it immediately or, if that's not possible, that it be dissolved in water. And also that the area of the ground, if any particle has broken off, be cleansed as well. In this particular instance, the priest chose it to dissolve the host in water. And after, after several hours, the priest came back, and in that cup that the host was dissolving, it had become a muscly tissue. And so they had this host examined, and the scientific report read in the histopathological image the fragments were found to contain the fragmented parts of a cross-striated muscle it is most similar to the muscle of the heart this muscle of the heart is most common in Eucharistic miracles and so it should call us to the sacred heart of Jesus there's another instance in Poland that happened in 2008. They removed the host in the same manner and placed it in the tabernacle and actually it sat there for three years. And three years later, as they had opened the tabernacle, it was still admitting a scent of fresh baked bread. And when the host was studied the bloody part of the host was found to be of that same heart tissue. And in this one in particular, they said that the heart tissue was one of someone who had suffered severe trauma. Lastly, in Mexico in 2006, as a priest was celebrating Mass with religious sisters, the host began to emit a reddish substance. Again, the bishop of that diocese had a thorough investigation done. I have to note when the the bishops in the Vatican have these investigations done, they don't tell the scientist where this tissue had come from. They just act as if it's a normal medical investigation. And so they ask him the origin of this tissue, the blood type, everything else without telling them that it came from a host. And this is to eliminate any bias in the scientific investigation. The report of this study found that the reddish substance analyzed corresponds to the blood to blood in which there are hemoglobin and DNA of human origin. The blood type is A, B. This blood type is similar to the blood type through the analysis of the Shroud of Turin. If you go online and you search for Eucharistic miracles, you'll find dozens of these stories. And it seems that our Lord's trying to shout to us, yell, make it abundantly clear. This is really my flesh and blood. I wasn't speaking in symbols. I was speaking in reality. I give you my flesh and my blood. Contemplate what you receive. This morning, brothers and sisters, as we receive the Holy Eucharist, realize what it is that you receive. That indeed, we receive the greatest miracle that the world's ever seen greater than a multiplication of loaves and fishes to feed 5,000. This is the very flesh and blood of God himself.